Welcome to another edition of Unplugged and another successful edition as the Saints move to eight and four, still sitting fifth on the table. So our ladder position remains the same, but we strengthen our position in the eight ahead of another big challenge, a challenge that presents similarly to the Port Adelaide one a few weeks ago where we take on Brisbane at the Gabba. It has technically been our home for the last few weeks, so that might blunt the away factor a little bit, but no doubt imposing opposition. But a really relaxed victory I guess over the the Bombers, we've had some nervous moments this year, and I know it's easy to say in hindsight, but this wasn't one of them. It was a little bit nervy before the game, but once the game started, it appeared quite clear that St Kilda would win that game most of the way through. So that's always a nice afternoon sitting down to watch it. But 10-8, 68 to 5-3-33. Max King gets his Rising Star nomination. He kicked three, probably could have kicked six on the balance of opportunities that he had on the day. But... Uh, an impressive four points. The majority of players played quite well, despite Ben Patton going down with concussion in the first quarter. So we monitor his progress over the next uh, little while um, to see if he obviously gets up to the clash with Brisbane at the same time this Sunday. But H, as we welcome you in, first of all, uh, always nice to beat uh, any of the three C's, of course, Carlton, Collingwood or Essendon, and we, uh, we got the job done. It, it felt a bit like a turn-up, do what we have to do, get it done, concentrate on the next game. It, it sort of, once the first quarter was over and it was like, yeah, look, we've got this control, it was almost, yeah, let's, let's do what we have to do, conserve a little bit. We've had a big three weeks um, and sort of just, just keep, keep the foot on a little bit, but don't, don't run yourself into the ground. It's, it's a, it was a good feeling to get out that early and yeah, take a, take control of the game and then just be able to hold them at arm's length. So good, good all round performance, really. And it was one of those ones where, you know, we kind of had, had the game controlled at quarter time and, um, you know, we've seen a few times where we've let it slip after that and we didn't do that, which was good, but we also didn't put the foot down. You know, there were a few moments after quarter time where we kind of went, mm, we should probably, you know, put a bit more effort in or something. I don't know what's going, what's going on, but we looked a bit flat after quarter time, but managed to, to hold on. And, um, you know, we did what we had to do. It's almost as if we kind of put the cue in the rack and put a man behind the ball and said, right, we're just going to, we're not going to take it easy, but, you know, we're going to do what we have to do. We're not going to go flat out. We're not going to put the foot down. We're just going to try and conserve energy, keep the ball, uh, make sure that we keep controlling the game and don't give the Bombers a chance to kind of get themselves back in it. Um, to, to much of an extent. And, and that's what we did. We kind of controlled the game from that point on. We probably could have won by 10 or 15 goals after that first quarter, um, which I was kind of looking forward to. I was hoping that we would, cause we haven't done it for so long. Um, but uh, you know, equally happy to, to get out of the game with no kind of serious concerns. Um, and uh, you know, look forward to a, a, a contender on the weekend. Yeah. And, and I guess, um, it was probably a case that the Bombers were clearly under strength with a lot of players out of their side. They've got one of the worst injury lists in the comp and they had the four-day break. We saw what the four-day break had done to us the, the week before. Not that Geelong felt any effects of it coming out of it to flog Port Adelaide, but the majority of teams that have had a four-day break have, have struggled a little bit. And the Bombers, once they fell four or five goals down, they're not going to overrun us. You wouldn't think coming off that break. But we looked a little tired still as well. We probably looked tired... In the Gold Coast game, we were certainly tired in the uh, in the Geelong game. In the Essendon game, the whole second half was largely junk time. It was pretty scrappy and sloppy and both sides playing fairly defensively. So I get the feeling it, we, we sort of wanted to just get out of this block of matches and the grind. We, we won the game. We got through it. 
it goes back to relatively normal now. We've got a seven-day break before Brisbane and then I think a week before we play Melbourne and then a bye after that. So we're, we're sort of back on normal transmission now before a, a heavy schedule. We've got one more four-day break, which is against West Coast, but they also have a four-day break going into that game. So that helps offset that a little bit. And it's at the Gabba, not in Perth, which is a, a massive benefit. So... Uh, We've taken another step closer. If we win 10 games, we definitely make the finals. There's an outside chance we get in with nine, but we're uh, eight steps of the way to those 10 wins. So we've just got to get, obviously, two more to, to secure that position. But we did have that feeling, H, that uh, both sides were, were pretty cooked after half-time. Yeah, I mean, look at the match that they played on. Oh, was it the Tuesday before us, I think it was. was it? Wednesday. No, it was Wednesday. 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 Yeah, yeah, and that that was a little bit of a slog for them. Um, mm. I mean, a bit draining as well. If they come out with a win, they may have may have had a bit more uh, pep in their step, but they yeah fought hard and got just got the draw. Um, so that may have dropped them down a little bit as well. But yeah, they just. I mean, I saw a saw a bit of a package that someone had put together about them, and the amount <clears throat> the amount of times where they marked the ball. Went sideways, stopped, kicked long. And that's basically all they did all day. Um, yeah, so we're able to pick those off. And How did you feel, H? I'm, I'm a nervous supporter, but when I saw their selected team on the Saturday night and the players that they left out, I thought it would be a pretty ordinary loss if, if they beat us with that team. If they beat us, yeah, absolutely. Um, it was, there was always the confidence there looking and going, this is a team that we should, on paper, account for pretty easily. Yeah. They're... they're they have quite a, their list drops off pretty significantly after their top few players. It's, um, it's a few there that you look and go, yeah, they definitely wouldn't be playing if there's a fit list. That's it's yeah. So in the, in the state they're in at this, at this time, we had to make sure we beat them. And I mean, yeah, that gives a little bit of nervousness, but we sort of like, yeah, no, we should, should be fine with it. I mean, we, we spoke about it last week. It really was, for, for us, if we want to be playing finals in 2020, a must-win game. We, we spoke about it last week. Um, and to, to bounce back off off that loss, uh, you know, previous iterations of, of this footy club would have fallen in a heap, no matter the opposition, no matter if Essendon had, you know, 12 blokes out, no matter if it was Adelaide on the bottom of the ladder, wouldn't matter. We, we would find a way to lose the game. And that was, that was kind of one of the things, even though we didn't play fantastic footy, um, you know, we didn't, we didn't dominate like we potentially could have or should have in, in different circumstances, but you know, we didn't, we didn't drop our bundle and it, it was good to come back from a 10 goal loss and show that we can win, win games of footy again. Yeah, that's basically it. I mean, Max King clearly a, a highlight. So he's kicked two in the first quarter. He took a mark at the top of the goal square and played on and got run down. So that would have been a certain goal. He missed another set shot and I reckon he took another mark that wasn't paid at the top of the goal square as well. So you could have had a five-goal first term, uh, potentially. Kicked a goal late and, and obviously had a, a terrific good play in the half-forward flank where he kicked one off of his toes and did a blind turn and, and did a handball setup. So uh, all positives for, for Max. And he's his third favourite for the Rising Star. And if he if he found a bag in the last five weeks, like if he could kick a, he had a game where he kicks five or something like that, which, you know, is tough for a young kid late in a season. But... He's certainly a chance to win the award. You've got guys like Noah Anderson and, and Caleb Sarong at Fremantle that I think are the, the two that are ahead of him. But if you compare him, so he's top six in the league for contested marks, top eight or nine for goals. And I think he's top four in the AFL for targets inside 50 for, for a 20-year-old. And all those guys around him are guys like Hawkins, Dixon, Jeremy Cameron, 
Rewald, those sorts of players. So his numbers are stacking up really well. And, and they're stacking up better than Jesse Hogan's did the year he won the Rising Star as a key forward. So um, he could mount a pretty strong case for him. Well, you look at the year that Cozzy won. Um, the nominees who were getting nominated early kind of started dropping off and mm. like either not playing or were injured or just lost the form. And he came along in round 14 and got his nomination and then won it. So mm. there's a presence there for a tall forward having a big finish to a year. Well, I mean, well, he played down back, obviously, for us in that year, but a, t- a big player having a good finish to the year, finishing strong and getting in the eye of the people who are voting. Not to mention Max has completely changed the way our forward sets up. He's changed the way we play for, for a kid. I mean, those other kids have been terrific, but I'm not sure anyone's impacted a team structure as much as Max has impacted ours. Well, it impacts the defending as well. That's, That's right. They, yeah. they match up against him. They're not, yeah, you don't see many teams going, oh, the first year player, we need to watch them. So his, his agility and work ethic as well makes him dangerous because he chases and tackles and he puts pressure on. I saw a tweet yesterday from Dylan Atkinson uh, on Twitter who put a list of uh, 2020 goals, contested marks and tackles inside 50s for key forwards. And Max comes in fifth on the list with 52 total behind the likes of Tom Hawkins, Charlie Dixon, Josh Kennedy and Matt Taberner. He's, he's 20, 20 years old. He's fifth on that list. The next youngest is 27. It's, it's unbelievable the, th- the things that he's doing to our forward line and, and to our structure at his age. Um, not to mention that he, he didn't play at all last year. You know, it's 40, what he's doing is, is amazing. Yeah. And basically, I think if we start seeing these marks sticking, who knows what could happen? Yeah, as I said, he was playing on Michael Hurley too. He's a very good player and he tore him apart uh, for the last part. And he was, that was probably his, his chance to kick a bag. Like he, he should have had at least four at quarter time, possibly five. Um, and then who knows what happens from there. But yeah, there's going to be days where, where that happens for Max, that's for sure. And, and I'm, retrospectively, he'd be the number one draft pick, you'd think, in, in that draft. But obviously, we've got to just, I know we've been full of superlatives, but you've got to temper, obviously, expectations as, as much as you can and just try to keep a, a lid on it and, and nice and relaxed. He's only played the 12 games. And hopefully, he gets to play in a final in his, in his first season at AFL level, which would be a nice little uh, learning curve for him as well. But... Um, I said I'd, I'd banned the F word, so I'll, I'll just do that as just a one-off and wait a little bit until that's mathematically uh, impossible to miss. But uh, votes out of that game, I thought it was another one that was pretty tough. I, I thought there were various stages of the game where I had Rowan Marshall best on ground, certainly half-time he was BOG. But in the end, I went three votes to Zach Jones, 26 possessions in his 100th game. I played an outstanding game, I thought. Two votes to Josh Battle, did it at both ends, took nine marks, kicked an important goal in the second quarter uh, and plenty of intercepts as well. And I could have given the one vote to a number of people. I could have given it to either of the Ruckman, Paddy Ryder or Rowan Marshall. I could have given a vote to Billings. I could have given a vote to Steele. I could have even given a vote to Max, but I gave a vote to Nick Caulfield, who I thought played his best game for the club, took 10, 10 or 11 marks in the back half. And especially with Patton not there and everybody's responsibility going up a little bit more. I gave it to Caulfield. So three Jones, two battle, one Caulfield for me, Nick. Yeah. Three to Jones. I think standout player on the, on the field, 26 touches, uh, five tackles, four clearances, did did just about everything except kick a goal and probably deserved one or two uh, in in a few of those occasions where he kind of was streaming through the middle. Um, Two to Nick Caulfield. I agree. I thought that was, 
probably his stand-up game, to be honest. He um, he did everything that was required of him and, and more when Ben Patton went down. 19 touches, 10 marks. Uh, you know, his intercepting, I think he had nine intercept possessions as well um, and was just unbelievable in, in the back half. And like you said, there's a number of players that could have given the, the one vote the one vote to, and I'm giving it to someone who you didn't mention. That was Brad Hill. I think that was by far yeah. his best game for the club. Um, led the team in, in metres gained. Looked like he was um, utilised more, which is something that Ratton's been talking about for a while, but his ability to uh, dictate the play when he's got the ball is amazing. And it's, it's hard to see on TV, but occasionally you can see kind of what he makes players do in front of him when he has the ball. Uh, and he really, he really determines the outcomes of, of, you know, our set plays from the back half. It's, it's really incredible to watch. And that was by far his best game for the, the footy club so far. And I'm expecting a lot more from him. And so, yeah, similar, similar votes my way as well. Um, Jones, yeah, clear best on ground. Um, just, just workmanlike on that, in that match. Um, gave us plenty of drive and just, yeah, moved it out beautifully out of the centre for us. The two was where I actually struggled because I've, I've got one who I definitely want to give one vote to, but I had to go, okay, who am I going to give the two to? Um, I end up going to battle, both ends of the ground, provided one a target up forward and defensively jumped in down the back and just all-round performance that if that, that's the sort of game that we, we'd really want him to play for us. Like if, if we're struggling down forward, he can go up there and be the X factor. If we're struggling down back, he can go down there and hold us up even better than what, what we have um, been if, if we're struggling or something. Um, and the one, I had to give a Paddy Ryder. His third quarter is the reason that we stayed in that game. He, that third quarter was more, nothing but brilliant. Um, just the contested marks he took, the being in the right place, being just knowing where the ball was going and being able to get there and uh, basically take the intercept markers. He stopped, I don't know how many drives. I mean, he had, uh, what did I see? Had, like, it was only four marks for the match, but I'm pretty sure all four of those were in the third quarter. Yeah, one um, of them led to that goal, which was an important momentum stop. Yeah, um, just, just for that quarter are solely alone. That, that's why he gets a vote for me. Yeah, he was terrific. Um, having watched the replay on, on Monday morning for a bit, yeah, he's hit outs to advantage. He was just doing what he wanted when he was in the ruck. And that was exactly how you want the combination to work. Marshall dominated around the ground in the first half with winning clearances and marking everything. Marshall would have had five or six clearances. I haven't seen the numbers, but I'd be surprised if he didn't have five or six clearances and, and multiple inside fifty four and multiple yeah. inside fifties. Um, and Ryder was just tapping it down down their throat. So uh, well, Ryder himself had had four inside fifties and four score involvements as well, yeah. which is it's not something that you you think about when you think of Paddy Ryder and his work. But he's a beautiful uh, yeah, like, goal too. He is he's a beautiful kick. But but also like like Hill, I think his leadership on field and the ability to to make plays around him better. Um, I think like you said, him the way that he stood up in that third quarter was really impressive. Yeah, and that's the combination. Obviously, we didn't have Ryder against Geelong or Jones, so I guess two of those better players that uh, needed a spell and are probably always going to. And especially this week against Brisbane, who are missing their first two-choice Ruckman, Stephen Martin and Archie Smith, their number one and two-choice Ruckman. So Oscar McInerney, who's a, a big boy, has been rucking a bit for them. But um, they've got a lot of tools, Brisbane, but certainly a chance for... That's an area where we might be able to potentially get some control 
in the game. But our, our special guest was a popular saint. He only played for St Kilda for three and a half years, but the club has been home ever since his arrival in 1991. We speak, of course, of the fly, Russell Morris. Coughlin coming through centre to half forward. He's found his man, and this is Russell Morris. In the centre square, lock it wide. There's the target. Rice in the front spot. All free kick Lockett. Play on Cole. Rice to kick another one. Bang, through. Two goals, one. St Kilda. Adelaide yet to score. Well, it's terrific now to be joined by Russell Morris. 66 games with the Saints, a premiership player with Hawthorne before that and, and has certainly called St Kilda home uh, since coming across at the end of 1990. Uh, a lot of us would remember some prolific days at Moorabbin in the early 90s where Russell would be taking 16 marks and getting 35 possessions on a, on a fairly regular basis. So it was a big little <laughs> period there. He went on keep to be a, a boundary of Channel 7 and uh, play-by-play commentary and has obviously had a lot to do with the Saints in the past players realm. Russell, uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much for having me. It's good. Good fun. Now, uh, I guess with that, so you're a premiership player at Hawthorne where you've had a lot of success and you'll go to reunions time and time again, but it does appear, at least from our point of view, that you've completely taken St Kilda to heart and that as soon as you arrived at the club, you, you fell in love with St Kilda and became a St Kilda person. Can you take us through whether that's accurate and, and perhaps why that was the case, why, why you fell, I guess, so in love with the club? Well, Ken Sheldon and Peter Hudson approached me at the end of 90 and gave me a bit of an option. And St Kilda was the last club I was going to go to because, you know, driving down the Pian Highway, I lived in Kew, so I'm on the other side of town. No, no desire whatsoever. Richmond approached me. Kevin Bartlett came to me with Noel Judkins and they came to me, but they had no players, they had no future and also they had no money. Sheldon and Hudson had a little bit of a bank to play with. But as you know, St Kilda was notorious for not paying their players. However, they were in a different situation. And you have a look at the goal line. They had uh, Frawley at fullback. They had um, a young Harvey Burke uh, in the middle. They had Stewie Lowson up forward. They had uh, Plugger at, at full forward. They had Winmar on the wing. They had David Grant on the halfback flank. Russell Jeffries on the halfback flank. So I thought, oh, hang on, this is pretty good. Plus they offered me $65,000 in um, 91. So I thought, Oh, that was pretty good to twist my arm. So had a great three years there, three, three and a half years, because I retired around, after round five. And then, look, Hawthorne have had an enormous amount of success. They've won 13 premierships in the last 50 years, and St Kilda haven't. So it's really transferred my attention to, to try and help the club out. I think they need support. Uh, the past players was run by some fantastic people in the past with Neil Roberts and Brian Muir and uh, Cowboy Neil, amongst others, and and Jeff Saru, but it was sort of going nowhere. And they came and approached me and said, look, can you give me some, can you give us some ideas? And I came up with some ideas and they love the ideas so much. They said, right, you're president. So I thought, well, okay, why not? I'll give it a shot. And uh, what it's done for me, it's been the best thing for me. It's revitalized my, uh, my career because I've connected with a lot of people that uh, I was involved with when I was a player, which is really nice. And they're fantastic. St Kilda people, are probably the most loyal people going around. As you can imagine, you guys, you've been following the club all your lives, limited success, but you stick with it, don't you? You do. And it takes a really good type of character to stick with a particular club that doesn't deliver you too much success. Whilst we played in a few grand finals, but so close, but 
that was pretty much the reason and I've been loving it, uh, I suppose, for the last um, 10, 15 years. So you came in and you became the original tall blonde number 12 at the club. And... <laughs> <laughs> I was either first. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ross yep, yep. Cat Colling. Uh, um, um, but, yeah, so we talked a little bit just before, before we even bet and mixed up with the number, but you wore the number 12 and it was a little wonky. Um, it, was a, it was a crooked 12, crooked yes, 2. Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I inherited that. I reckon, remember Cliffy Pryor, the, the, um, I don't know whether you're aware, Cliff Pryor was the property steward at the time. And Cliff only just died about a month ago, actually. So poor old um, Cliffy, but Cliffy um, and Mickey Cusack, they were the two guys that were managing all the property. I reckon Cliffy's wife was on the sherry because they used to share, they used to sew the numbers onto the back of the jumpers, right? They, the old, you know, today they're all manufactured and they're all printed. Everything's printed. But the old days, we had the Tui's uh, logo printed, uh, sorry, sewed on. Numbers were sewed on. All the sponsors were sewed on. And the two, for some reason, was sewed on crooked. So I reckon they might have been on the piss. Did, <laughs> now, there was a bit of a rumour that you started playing well with it and you had a new jumper coming and you asked for it, the next one to yeah, be sewn on crooked correct. as well. Yes. Yeah, because yeah. I, I, I change the jumpers every year. I kept it. Yep. I thought, oh, I've got to keep, I've got to play with it the second year because everyone would always say, oh, fix your number two. Remember the barbecue squad? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All that crew, uh, even in the, um, uh, the animal enclosure, uh, also the, um, the cheer squad, fix your number two. No, I'm not fixing my number two. So it's sort of become a little bit of a mini legend. You uh, you played a fair bit of footy with some iconic Saints. Obviously, early in your career, you would have spent a, a fair bit of time in the defensive fifty with uh, a young Tony Lockett, and then coming to St Kilda, spent a bit of time in the in the back half with uh, with Spud Frawley. Can you give us some memories of, of your time with, with Spud and, and what Spud was like, um, but also Look, of, of, of Plugger? And, just and just Plugger on Plugger, like? I, I played on Plugger Plugger's first ever practice match. We played down at the Harry Trot Oval down at Albert Park. I think Plugger might have been 17. I was um, playing with Hawthorne and I played full back. And I think it might have been 86. When did, when, when did Plugger first arrive? 83. 83. Well, 83. Okay. So it was the earlier days. I played on Plugger as a young kid uh, in a practice match. So I remember that. And he was really lazy. Really, really lazy. But I think we knew that. But then coming to St Kilda... He became, you know, he was this powerhouse. He'd already kicked 100. How many times? Come on, guys. How many? Did he already had 200s? Uh, yeah, his second was that year, 91. He, he yeah, that was his second. So, 87, 91. Yeah. But in 91, um, he got really fit. Uh, Frawley was the glue. Danny was the captain. He understood that there was shit going on at the club, but he was really clever. He knew what was going on at administrative level, player level. Uh, he transcended all the different boundaries within the club. And that's why he was one of the greatest personalities of St Kilda Footy Club. Uh, I love Spud. And he kept the players together. He was connecting to coaches. He was connected to administration. He, he pretty much was one of these guys that was able to connect to everyone. Um, Plugger, everyone was scared of. Uh, he pretty much, I think, pretty much had his own rules to a certain extent. You know, it was Plugger's way. Uh, and then there was everyone else, which is a bit of a pity. I think that's why we're probably never going to win a flag with him. 
you know, if you know, with a club, if you've got one rule for one and then other rules for others, it's, it tends to be a bit disjointed, no matter how good a player is. And look, he was a, obviously the greatest player, I think, I believe, at St Kilda. But then, you know, he then ended up going to Sydney. But I, I remember one time, do you mind if can I tell a story about how Plugger nearly killed me? Okay. <laughs> um, uh, we were training, and Ken Sheldon was ex Carlton, Peter Hudson was ex Hawthorne. Sheldon came from a club that he won three premierships with Carlton and he came from a club where everyone was at the same level. Everyone hung shit on each other, right? Hawthorne was the same. If anyone got above themselves, the other players would grab them and drag them down to level, right? And that's why clubs were so successful. Everyone was on the same playing field. Sheldon came from that culture and so did Hudson. So I, during 91, I, I went up to Ken and said, oh, mate, do you mind if we, I can play a little bit of a... a, a um, uh, a practical joke on Plugger and Bomber thought, oh yeah, that's a good idea. Let's 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 hang some shit on Plugger. So I thought, oh, this is good. So Plugger just come out with a book, and it was the Tony Lockett story. You might you might have it. Oh, I've got a copy. Got yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway, it was launched. Richard Stubbs was um, was the breakfast um, show on Triple M at the time, and I was selling radio. I was I was <laughs> I was an advertising executive at Triple M, right? So I thought, oh, okay, let's have a bit of fun with this. So I took the book into Stubbsy and I said, mate, why hey, Richard, why don't you hang some shit on Plugger? So he did on air. So, and, oh, this is good fun. So I took the tape and I took it down to the club and I said to Bomba, why don't we play this in the change rooms after training? We'll hang shit on Plugger and have a bit of a laugh. Oh, that's a great idea, Flo, let's do it. So after training, we all came in and we're in the old gymnasium in Moorabbin. Everyone's lying around doing some stretching and I put this tape on. Anyway, Richard Stubbs started parroting Plugger. You know, see Tony run, see Tony jump, uh, see Tony knock opposition player out. And it was all this crap. No one laughed. And I thought, oh, my God, what have I fucking done? <laughs> and, I, and I looked at Plugger and you could see the steam coming out of his ears. You know, he's looking around going, who the fuck's put this on, right? <laughs> So I've slithered across the floor like a snake and I've grabbed the tape, I've turned the thing off and I've just sort of thought, oh, I've got to get out of here. So I grabbed my bag and I went into the back trainer's room and I thought, I'll get a massage, I'll hide there with Kenny Whiffen. So I said, Ken, can you give me a massage? I've got to hide because I'm, I'm in a bit of trouble here. He said, what have you done? And I said, oh, look, I hung shit on. I, I was responsible for that thing with Plugger and he's, I reckon he's cracked it. So I'm lying there. And you know, with those massage tables, you have the hole in the face of the table, you know, you can, so you can breathe. You've got your face in the, the hole. So I've got my face in this hole, right? Anyway, I'm lying there and I'm getting a massage. All of a sudden, the, the room stopped. They stopped talking. And there's a shadow comes over the top of me. And the trainers go, oh, get a plugger. I'm lying there going, oh, shit, he's coming to the room. <laughs> and the shadows come over the top of me. And... He goes, hey, fly, did you do that? I said, what? He said, you know fucking what. <laughs> and I just lay there and I just said nothing. I thought he was going to push my head through the hole in the massage table. I thought he was just going to smash me through it. And I sat, I lay there and I said nothing. I was waiting for it, you know, just impending. When you're waiting for the bullet in the back of my head, Waiting, wait, and there was like this pause. It might have been 10 seconds, but it felt like a minute. Anyway, he walked out. He left. He said, you fucking do that again, I'll fucking kill you. 
<laughs> oh, oh. I've, 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 you know, this is my like, first year at St Kilda. I'm like, Jesus Christ, I'm ruffling a bit of feathers here. But however, from that day on, I had his respect. He would talk to me before games. He'd ask me about Dunstall. He'd ask me about Hawthorne. I reckon that because I took him on, he thought, yeah, you've got some fucking balls, mate. <laughs> not, I mean, I'm not a fighter. You know, I'm not tough or anything. But I had a crack at him. And I think I won his respect over. And I think from that day, we, we sort of really well connected. Never became his really mate or anything. But I reckon from that day on, I, um, I, I, earned, I earned my place in the, in the club in Plunger's eyes. Well, it's an interesting plugger reference because uh, 91 early days, you would have played away at Moorabbin a few times at, at Hawthorne, but probably one day that would have encapsulated Moorabbin a lot would have been 91 round seven when St Kilda beat Adelaide by 131 points. So everyone yes, remembers I remember, I remember. 12 in that comeback match, but you had 33 possessions and took 18 marks that day as well. I know. To be on that side of the fence in, in Moorabbin and, and obviously have that atmosphere behind you, did that sort of was that the ultimate welcome to St Kilda where uh, you, you've torn a team apart at Moorabbin in front of a big crowd like that you know what leading up to that game uh, Adelaide had arrived in 91 they um, pulled the Hawthorns pants down in round one they knocked off a few good sides Jarmans were flying Danny Hughes full back they had, you know, they had some they had a really good side and they really turned the AFL or the AFL at the time on, on its head they arrived at Moorabbin and everyone around the club's going, oh, my God, you know, this club, what's going to happen? And you now 33,000 people turned out. It was packed. And um, remember, well, because Plugger missed the first six games because he hurt his back against West Coast in the, um, in the pre-season game at Waverley. So he was out injured. He hadn't played a game. And also, Widmar had been out. So it was Widmar's return game, Lockett's return game, big crowd. Adelaide were unknown. No one had seen them. And bang, I remember, first bounce. Paul Harding, tap, Harvey, step, 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 pop, kick, lock it, bang. First 10 seconds, lock it, kicks the goal. Oh, hang on, we're on here. This is good. Anyway, he had nine by half time. And I remember, I don't know whether you guys were at the game, but um, just before half time, he took a mark. And Danny Hughes, is, he's had nine kicked on him already by halftime. And Lockett shoved the ball in his face, you know, fuck off. You know. <laughs> anyway, Graham Corns, the coach, he's gone to send the runner out and dragged Hughes. And Hughes has had to run around the boundary in front of the Huggins stand. And I reckon they buried him. They're, the whole crowd just said, fuck you. Like, just gave it to him. Unfortunately, Lockett ran out of petrol in the second half. He only kicked another three. So we got 12, as you said. Kicked 12. Um, but I reckon, I, think, I, think, I also believe the, um, that winning score, I think we kicked 24 goals to four. I think the winning margin over Adelaide is the best ever still. I think it's Adelaide's still biggest defeat still in their AFL history. Yeah. 24 goals to four. Is, yeah. So we hold that. Um, Love that day, I must, I must admit. And um, as you can see, I don't know much about the game. But uh, <laughs> I'm a big Saints man, so I'm, I'm very passionate about the club. But love, love, love. I don't know whether you remember also that year. You probably do know, but I'll just remind your listeners and your viewers. Lockett that year, uh, he kicked 127 goals in 17 games. 
I think at an average of 7.36 or something like that, right? Yep. 7.36. How does a player that averages 7.36 goals a game not win the Brownlow medal? If he had played every game that year, he would have kicked 172 goals. In the yeah, on yeah, average. yeah, that's right. Averaging yeah. seven goals. He kicked, I think he kicked 12 against Carlton. Uh, I think oh, yeah, 11 kicked, against Brisbane, 12 against Sydney. Yeah, he might have kicked 10 on Langford at Hawthorne. Yeah. yeah, just tore everyone apart. Kick nine in a final. Obviously, can't get Brown. Kick nine against that, Geelong, yeah. nine in a final. So. That's yeah. one of the greatest years mm-hmm. I've ever seen. As a, in, in my, I, I was around for 11 years, but that Lockett year in 91 was extraordinary. Well, it was 747, so he was actually a jet. Um, <laughs> oh, 7.47, was it? Yep, yep. Oh, yeah, of course. Okay, so, yeah. Good, good. That's yeah, so he's literally a jet that year. Um, <laughs> the jumbo jet. Personally, <laughs> um, you've just mentioned that you worked at Triple M for a bit. Yep. Um, did you, anyone that didn't quite know who you were and you introduced yourself, did many, anyone ever ask you to sing a song? Did you ever get confused? Oh, every. Every time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Russell Morris, the real thing, all that. Yep. Can, yep. You, give it, can, you, no, can you give not, us a few bars? Oh, mama, mama, oh, mama, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that generation's a bit past because that song was written in 71. It was recorded in 71. Um, Molly wrote it. No, Johnny Young wrote it and Molly produced it. So it's an Australian icon. <laughs> it's, um, and, but however, Russell's a, Russell's a, um, a big Richmond man, actually. Mm. And I got to know him reasonably well um, over the journey. And uh, I actually rang him and asked him to come and play at my wedding. So Russell Morris and the Lonely Boys played at my wedding, which was <laughs> good. You do what you, what you do where, these things. Yeah. Where, where did the fly nickname come from? Uh, Alan Jeans gave it to me in 84. Uh, what he did when he would generally ring footballers, you know, you, you found out you were playing in the paper. No team meetings. Hawthorne didn't have team meetings. So if you're named in the team, you generally get a phone call on the Friday night, but you'd know about it because you, re- you bought the paper or the new or the radio. Oh, yeah, ins and outs, simple as that. Anyway, I, I was picked in um, round one in um, 84 versus Carlton. And I didn't know that he would be ringing me on the Friday before a game to say welcome. So I was, I was living with Chris Langford at the time in Brunswick and we, we didn't have a, we didn't cook. So we'd go down to local and get pasta and bring it back and watch television. And I didn't know that he'd actually call. Anyway, I got to the game on 84, arrived, you know, you arrive at you know, 12 o'clock, all excited. And Yabby walked up to me and he said, hey, young Morris, I tried to ring you last night and you wasn't home. He said, well, so I got all the, oh, I got a bit rattled, right? There, because everyone's saying, well done, congratulations, first game. But his welcome was, I tried to ring you, but you wasn't home. And I said, oh, I was just out getting some food. He said, hey, tell you, if you want to be a social butterfly, go and play somewhere else. <laughs> so from that time, I thought, okay, fine. But then at training, if I'd go near the ball, he'd go, come on, social butterfly, run. Come on, social butterfly. So he started yelling at social butterfly. and think, oh, please. Because yeah, you don't pick your own nickname. <laughs> and all the players, everyone's going, who's the social butterfly? Like, who is this? And I was thinking, oh, can you just shut the fuck up? I don't want to be called a social butterfly. Because he used to say, 
because I, I lived with Langford. Langford was a Melbourne grammar boy, and I played. I, I'm with the Campbell grammar because he used to say that we had the silver spoon in our mouth because we were the private schoolboys at Hawthorne, right? And it just used to piss us both off. Hated it. So this social butterfly, then it's then it's shortened to butterfly, then it's shortened to fly. But then along the season, Yabby would ring on a Friday. And the phone would ring and I'm with Langford and I said, I'm not answering it. And he goes, I'm not answering it because we knew who it was because he'd just hang shit on us because we'd answer, oh, yeah, hello, yeah, uh, hello, fly. What's for dinner tonight? Chicken and champagne, is it? So he'd be playing this silver spoon shit all the time, hanging <laughs> shit on us, being private schoolboys, all this crap. And he was very, very funny about it. But... When you're 20 years old, you, you get embarrassed. You, and you can't tell him not to say it because you don't pick your own nickname. You've got to deal with it because there's other 40 other players on the training field and you just cop it. Simple as that. So, so you, moved, you moved to the most famous social football club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've gone as the fly to <laughs> kill the football club oh, with the Saints disco. Oh, God. Yeah. I, look, I, I, never, I never went to the Saints disco. I missed it. But I've heard a lot about it. Russell, now, Green, no, Russell Green told me a lot about it. Now, I know you've got to, uh, speaking of fly, you've got to fly in a minute for, uh, for other commitments. So I guess a, a last one from, uh, from me. Um, now, 97, we spoke a little bit about it on the phone last week, but I remember um, the 97 prelim before the game, uh, they showed you on TV and you had the St Kilda socks on and you were pumping them up and St Kilda running out of the ground on the prelim. I remember you and your boundary duties uh, standing alongside them, clapping them and saying, come on. And then you were there in the grand final, obviously, on the boundary as well. What was that like, obviously, balancing the professional role with the fact that the club you loved was trying to win a flag? And, and I guess how hard was it in the end that they didn't? Oh, mate, it was so exciting at the time. Um, but that's probably one of the most disappointing days that I've been involved with the club, watching, you know, getting close, um, but not close enough. So, look, you think about it all the time, but you can't do much about it. So what do you do? You guys are worse. You know, you haven't seen anything. You haven't seen a win. You know, Thanks for reminding you us. Know what's, you know what's going to happen this year? We're going to get in the grand final and no one's able to go. That's the problem. This is no, going to be a... It, we'll, we'll get there. We'll win. We'll win it, and no one can go and watch it. That's you know my what? prediction. I could live with it if it happened. <laughs> I could live with it. No worries, mate. Thank you for your time. Thanks very much for having me. Appreciate it very much. Thanks, mate. Okay. Yeah, I thought our first half was very good. Um, we got the game sort of where we wanted it at half time. Um, yeah, and, and to respond the way that we did was really good. Yeah, it's sort of trying to still build that connection for Hilly and the group and when's the right time and when's the wrong time. So he um, he got a bit more of it tonight, which is great. Um, but I thought there's some really good players for us and I thought Josh Battle's first half was fantastic. Um, his ability to impact the game and Max looked like he was going to kick a, a big score um, early doors and even in you know, Timmy Memory and, and Marshall up there as well. So, um, yeah, we had a few things going right. The second half was... There's some things that we probably didn't like. We got a little bit cute and tried to muck around with the footy and really fueled their in-out in plays and that gave them sort of 25 to 13 inside 50s in the second half. So I thought we did a really good job when the game was up, up for grabs. We rolled our sleeves up, got the job sort of done and put ourselves in a good position, but we could have given Essendon a, a, you know, an opportunity. 
Russell Morris there, and also the thoughts of Brett Ratton, his coach's message in the lead-up to this match in the aftermath of that game against Essendon. So uh, we play Brisbane at the Gabba. It's an interstate, or it's an away game because it's Brisbane's home ground, but I guess it's been home for St Kilda for the last month or so. So that kind of blunts the the normal getting on a plane and travelling to Queensland aspect, the fact that they've been up there. But clearly, if you had a choice, you'd rather play Brisbane at Metricon than at the Gabba. So Brisbane are 5-0 and zero at the Gabba this year. They're 4-3 and three at other venues and have won at Metricon by a point and three points in other games. So they've been pretty vulnerable away from the Gabba, but the Gabba has been a fortress. So it's a tough challenge that they've beaten Port Adelaide there easily. They beat the Bulldogs there. They flogged West Coast there. Um, so there's certainly some challenges in it. But in saying that, Port Adelaide, we're in a very similar position. So if you look at our major challenges this year, Port Adelaide was a major challenge. We, we passed that with flying colours. Geelong was a major challenge, but one that we, we had excuses for the poor performance. It doesn't explain a 10-goal loss, but we are clearly uh, feeling the pinch of a four-day break. So this one will give us a, a more clear indication of where we're at. It's a big opportunity. Obviously, if we win the game, you could probably lock us in, certainly for finals and, and maybe even a little bit more than that. Um, and obviously, if you, if you lose the game, you want to see enough to suggest that you can compete if finals come around, if you're good enough to, to get there. So, big opportunity to go nine and four would be massive for us. Uh, Carlisle and, and Kent were rested last week. So, do they come in? And if so, for who? Obviously, um, the, the fitness of Ben Patton will determine a lot of that with his concussion. But Seb Ross was, was okay. He played all right last week. Um, there, there's not a lot of guys that you would say. I mean, Jack, it's probably Loney versus Kent, maybe. Um, Loney was all right. Kent had been all right as well. So, um, yeah, you, you'd think minimal changes, but, but whether they've got to get Carlisle back into that side because of the likes of Hipwood and McStay and, and those guys remains to be seen, hey? Um, yeah, it's an interesting one. I'm, I'm trying to work out whether Brisbane's a side that you want to go that bigger defenders or because it's a lot of their pace is what they what yeah. they play with. Um, it, it's it's going to be pushing them out to the wings to kick, kick their goals because a lot of their... They've been very inaccurate. Inaccuracy is just, mm. yeah, it's, I mean, it almost cost them a game on the weekend when you look at it. Yeah. Um, yeah. If, you, if, if we can force them into the corners and just, that's where maybe you need that tall defender to play in the middle, not allow them to have that, easy entry into the forward line. But at the same time, it's their small forwards that are getting down to the crumb and kicking the snaps and that sort of but thing. But out of form. Charlie Cameron is out of form, which helps. Yeah, so... <laughs> against us last year. So. so does he come back into form like we do a lot of for- small yeah. forwards? It's um, Yeah, so it is it is a tough one because, geez, they're a good team. Um, so, I mean, but we've seen North push them. North, I mean, they've always almost snatched that game and never say never against them, I guess. It's, as I say, we've been playing there just as much as they have almost. So the home ground is not not there that it has been over the previous years. But yeah, we'll go into it with absolute chance. But it's just going to be a hard one to actually go, well, all right, this is how we've got to beat them. I mean, Neil, that, there's your starting point. Get the ball out of his hand. Must be fair. Absolutely. Get the ball out of his hand and you've started half a job already. So, yeah, we'll just match up. This is a game you've got to find the right matchups and make sure we can win them. Well, I mean, if ever there's a time that you want to play Brisbane at the Gabba, it's probably this for us. Um, 
you know, we've, we've been there for a month. We've been up there for a month. We know the conditions. We know it pretty well now. It's, you know, those sorts of things, home ground advantage and stuff is an unknown quantity. We know it exists, but how much we, we don't know. It's never something that's fully able to be, you know, qualified or, or quantified. So, you know, we've now been there for a month. We've played a few games. We, we know the conditions. We know it well. We know Brisbane. Um, we've, we've played them a number of times over the last few years. We know how they play. We know, you know, their, their strengths and weaknesses. And there aren't a lot of weaknesses, but they've got a hell of a lot of strengths. And we have to be able to manage each one of them because they're dangerous across each line. And that's one of the reasons I think that Carlisle has to come back in because they've got the ability to swing different guys forward. And like you said, with... With Cameron out of form, they are relying on guys like Kipwood a bit more to be that that focal point, the target. Um, and if not taking a mark and kicking goal, then at least bringing the ball down the ground. And so I think we need um, Carlisle and Howard in there because Howard's more that lockdown fullback, the guy who who you know is going to take your best defender. He's not necessarily a monster key defender, but he's he's your, your fullback who takes the full forward. And Carlisle is more of the the rock who. Um, he, he's your big bloke in the middle of that defensive 50. He's going to get get back in the goal square when he needs to, to punch it through. He's going to push up to halfback when he's got to hit a contest. He's the, the second or third man at, at other contests. And I feel like with guys like McInerney and Hipwood, who are so dangerous in the air, you've got to have a couple of options back there. And we know that Marshall can can swing back. We know that Ryder can can drift back and, and have an impact. But I would feel a lot more comfortable having, having Carlisle as a second big there. And then you have guys like Wilkie and Pat. Hopefully, Patton's hopefully Patton's good to go. Um, but if not, then you know another big week for Geary. Um, that, that's going to be an interesting, an interesting one. Where where do they play Geary back or forward again this week? Um, but yeah, Lockie Neal. I mean, it's a, a similar question to to what we raised with Dylan Shield mm-hmm. last week. Um, but Lockie Neal's a better player. So is it worth going head to head with with Jack Steele and saying, you know, a lot of your energy has to go to stopping Lockie Neal, but you've also got to be able to hurt him on the, on the other side. Um, or do you, do you have someone whose sole job is to stop Lockie Neal? And, and I'm not sure that's possible. I'm not sure you can stop him. Yeah, obviously so it's, they've got guys it's like... It's how you can hurt him yeah. the other way. Obviously got guys like McCluggage and Witherden, but obviously Zorko and, and Neal are the, are the main two. But, but on Brisbane and Lincoln McCarthy, another one obviously that needs a bit of attention is a small forward. But... Of their wins this year, their best wins at the Gabba or the most noteworthy wins or at any venue for that matter, they've generally put the foot down for 15 or 20 minutes and blown teams away in otherwise relatively even games. Against West Coast, they were four points down at halftime, kicked five goals to one in the third quarter and won by 30 points. So they outscored them by 25 in that quarter and put a space on them. Against uh, the previously unbeaten Port Adelaide, they were a point in front at quarter time and kicked six goals to one in the second quarter and then went on to win the game by 35 points. It did most of the damage uh, in that quarter against the Western Bulldogs a couple of weeks ago. That game uh, also played at the Gabba. It was three goals to four. They were down. They then kicked six goals in a row in the second quarter and won that game by 24 points. So they've generally been arm wrestles and then Brisbane have taken complete control in the middle for about 15 or 20 minutes, dominated the game, kicked five or six in a row and that's the end of it. Uh, but otherwise the game's been on a pretty even keel. So for St Kilda, it's, I guess, guarding against those momentum bursts from, from Brisbane. Uh, and if they come, being able to withstand that onslaught like they did against Port Adelaide. Port Adelaide put the foot down against us at the start of the third quarter and we held them out and then obviously denied them and, and won the game. So 
just a very winnable game. That the Lions are a dangerous, quick, skillful, aggressive team, fun to watch. Probably play similar to the way we do in in a lot of ways, but they've been doing it a bit longer. But uh, it's certainly a, a winnable game. That they've got talented young forwards, but forwards that can be contained. Uh, we've got a, a real opportunity to give our midfielders first use if we can take control in the ruck. And it'd be good if Patton could play. If you've got Patton, Caulfield, Long, Clark, those sorts of guys, Geary, to control their small forwards. Um, it's a game that, you know, I, I get the feeling if we played them at the Gabba 10 times, we might win three, something like that, two or three. So it's a question of whether we get one of those games this week. Um, because it'll be a massive opportunity for us. I'm a lot more confident this week than than I otherwise might have been um, mm. under similar situation. You know, given like you mentioned that, that Port uh, that Brisbane are a bit of that kind of burst type team, and and they've put teams away with ten or fifteen minutes of of chaos kind of football. Uh, we we've shown that we can withstand that. Um, you know, against against really good teams, and and like you said. Port did it, and Port played very similar to Brisbane too. The, the kind of they want to move the ball quickly, they want to run, they want to kick long to targets, they want to hit the ball hard, they want contests, they want to long to the top of the square, all that sort of stuff that Brisbane do, that we do, very similar. Um, Carlton are the same, very similar. We did it against them. Um, so we know we know that we can manage teams that play that style of football. Uh, it's just a matter of whether or not we're we're good enough right now to to contain probably the best at it. Um, and you know we've we've got some we've got some things to improve on. We know that we're not the finished article yet. Like you said, we, we were able to to beat a few of those hoodoo teams, the, the crows, the power, the swans, but we had issues with the magpies. We had issues with Geelong, um, experienced teams and experienced midfielders. And you know Brisbane have an experienced midfield, and and it's going to be something that is really important. It's, I can't wait for this game, to be honest. It's, yeah. it's probably the game that I've looked forward to most this whole season. Um, and I don't know if it's because we've had the full week's break or, or what, but um, you know, I, I actually can't wait for this game. It should be a cracker. And, and I think a lot of neutral fans would, would, would be a good idea to tune and watch because it should be, should be full of um, fast-flowing, attacking, offensive footy that's great to watch. Yeah, it's the, the rebound ground as... as... We've heard it mentioned before. It's the ball. It can be at one end one second, and the next thing you'll blink, and it's at the other end. It's it's, it's just going to be bouncing around everywhere on the weekend. Um, it, both teams coming off a long break too, which is going to be, give us all a bit of a refreshment and just it, we're probably going to be able to see the best of well, both teams at their best. Um, if we've both been coming off a four-day break, five-day break kind of thing, it, it may have gone into a bit of a slog again. And... Um, but it's just it's just gonna be getting the ball first. That that's where the key is gonna be. Get it first, make sure we're there where the ball falls. Because if he hits the ground and we're not there, they're gone. They're at the other end of the ground before in a blink of an eye. So it's just just I guess get knowing where to go, where to positions. We've played there as I'm just, just looking, we've actually played there. A lot more than what they have recently. So yeah, sure. we, we know how the ground's playing. We played at the same time there on Sunday, just gone. So we know what the where the shadows are, which are annoying. We know where the um which side of the ground to favour. And yeah, so we just a little bit of an advantage there, I guess. So yeah, it's just gotta be ready. That, that that's that's the key to the game. We need to be ready, need to be knowing exactly 
what the plan is, who we got to shut down. Just, yeah, if, if things aren't happening, switch it quick because before you know, they're going to put four, five, six goals on and you go, oh, well, what's over? So yeah, we've got to take our chances because they, they don't always take theirs. I mean, who knows? They might kick 11 goals, three or something this week. Yeah. Well, um, uh, generally, it's, we, we've been all right, obviously, in converting. That was another reasonable day in front of goal uh, the other day. So yeah, take your chances. Don't have any lapses in the game. They'll, they'll open you up if you do. So, But at the same time, we'll open them up. If they do, we can hurt them if we get control at any period of the game. We're, we're still the highest scoring team in the AFL. So... Um, yeah, it's a, it should be. It's just, I'd imagine if you, if you didn't bury it for either side, it wouldn't be a bad one to watch. But but hopefully we hold up well because obviously the, the the shit gets pretty real if we can win this game. I would think. Um, but yeah, fingers crossed for for taking another scalp and and another step in the right direction before Melbourne in Alice Springs the the following week, which looks like a, a pretty intriguing game as well. But uh, go Saints, enjoy Sunday and. Um, Hopefully the build up to this one, and good to catch up with Russell Morris. Apologies for the language sensitive, but that's Footy Club speak. So we're we're raw. We're not a filtered podcast. So uh, we're yeah, uh, that's right. We're going to get the warts and all type stuff, and uh, always good to catch up with the ever entertaining fly. But uh, thanks, guys, and we uh, we look forward to a big one on Sunday. Go Saints. Uh-huh.